folks and welcome back to the norwood noise podcast it's been a long long hiatus here of course as always myself evan shibble alongside graham griffith um it is beautiful sunday august 13th i'm sure you all thought the the pod was over i'm sure you thought that it was never going to come back but here we are returning with kind of a summer recap summer headlines pod um we felt it was the only right way to kind of pick up where we left off the excuses can be the excuses. Graham and I had unbelievably busy summers. We couldn't catch each other all year. And to be frank, I, there wasn't until this past week, which has just been an utter, just utter chaos outside of the transfer stuff with what we covered. There just wasn't a whole lot to talk about. Um, there were obviously some big storylines with some coaching changes and different, um, you know, headlines across the sport. Um, as there always are, but there was nothing really substantial that provided enough content for a full pod. Um, so we kind of decided let's give it till the end of summer and then we'll kind of just do a summer recap pod and that's going to happen now. Uh, and then September, October, we can really start to get into the preview stuff, which will be really exciting. Obviously as the season will be, um, starting up here very quickly, you know, sooner than we can even imagine. So of course, without further ado, I'm going to turn over to my partner, uh, as always, Graham, how you doing? You're back in the 513 now, I hear. Yeah, um, just got back this weekend, um, getting into the grips of our orientation program. Uh, good opportunity, you know, immerse myself back in Savior at its fullest capacity. Um, instead of easing into it, I mean, we're getting thrown right into what it means to be a Xavier student, which... I think brings a, a lot of good things that after a summer of, you know, being busy doing my own thing with stuff at home, um, this is a good time to be fully locked in. And it, it feels like even just the past few days that I've been here, now that we're, you know, Norwood Noise, Summer Pod, um, it's like right back to where we started, you know. So I'm really excited to get this pond going and um, kind of get some sense of normalcy as we're kind of starting to ease back into um, the semester. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to get things going here, um, at, you know, as we always do. Um, and, yeah, let's let's kind of dive right into it. I think, of course, there is um, one big headline that really kind of brought us together today, um, and that is the, the story of conference realignment. So I think it was kind of on um, – it was kind of on everyone's radar a little bit, um, you know, kind of with, with you know, we all knew that, Pac, that the Pac-12's uh, media rights deal was coming to an end, um, and we knew that that was happening at the end of this 
um, fiscal year for that conference uh, in this summertime. And we knew that start, striking a new media rights deal was going to be tough for the Pac-12. I mean, it's always been tough. You know, they've you know they tried out a couple different things. They tried out streaming partners with ESPN Plus. Um, they had their own network in the Pac-12 network that never really went great. Um, for a lot of the general fans, kind of very inaccessible um, and, and hard to find on your cable packages. No way to stream it, things like that. So that obviously made it more difficult. Um, and then really just the biggest thing kind of, you know, through all of that was that this conference was always kind of just in a tough spot and in a disadvantaged spot, as is being in the time zone that they're in, things like that. So, and we knew as of last year that UCLA and USC were going to be making the jump to the Big Ten, which was kind of the first time I think that a lot of us thought of, you know, the conference realignment being a huge geographical issue. Um, because obviously UCLA and USC playing, you know, in a Northern state, imagining them playing in a Minnesota, uh, snowstorm is, is just kind of an awkward thought, uh, for much of us, you know, many of us fans who grew up with very regional conferences and things like that. So, um, definitely was going to be a new, you know, a new era for conference realignment. And they were kind of the two first schools to really just say, screw it. We don't care. Um, we're going to do what's best for our brand and for our pockets, um, and that's, that's how it's just going to go. So um, with that on the horizon, the Pac-12 was already in a very vulnerable position. Um, and last week was a whirlwind. I mean, reading Twitter, reading different articles, you know, hearing things. You were hearing everything from, oh, no, the Pac-12 is going to band together and stick together to, no, the, the Pac-12 is, you know, everyone's going to, you know, disband and do their own thing. Um and then there were final hour, you know, I mean, when the meetings were wrapping up on Friday, even even that morning we were hearing that, oh, no, the Pac-12 really is going to stay together. And then by that afternoon, every, the whole thing had kind of crumbled. So um, for a quick overview, for those that don't know, um, Washington and Oregon are joining UCLA and USC, moving to the Big Ten, opening up a couple big markets there. Obviously, Oregon, the Nike brand, that's a big deal for the Big Ten. And then, of course, Washington opening up that Seattle area. Um, another good time zone and and, and uh, more reach for that conference as a whole. Um, so they're moving into the Big Ten, um, playing regionally uncomfortable games uh, for all of us who have you know grown up with very uh, tight uh, alliances to their you know to their regions and things like that. Um, and then we also had kind of at the last minute, and this is what really changed things: um, Colorado coming back to the Big Twelve, which was kind of about the same time as the Oregon and Washington news broke. Uh, but then in the very last moments, we had Arizona State, Arizona, and Utah also making that move, um, which we knew was going to be an issue kind of from the start. Like, okay, now you've left the Pac-12 with four teams um, in Cal, Oregon State, Washington State, um, and why am I blanking on the other team? Oh, my gosh. Oh, Stanford. Um, <laughs> uh, so you've left them with four teams now. Obviously not large enough to have a, a legitimate conference. And this is a very quick turnaround. This is happening in a two-year window. Um, so they're going to play their final seasons all in the Pac-12 this year. And then the Pac-12 is essentially going to crumble. Now where I think a lot of people kind of had some misunderstanding there was, okay, well, the Pac-12 is just going to eat the Mountain West, right? Well, no, because the Mountain West has signed in, into their contracts. All of their teams have these big um, buyout clauses, basically, where they would have to pay the conference um, tens of millions of dollars to get out, which for smaller schools like that is just unrealistic. So 
the Pac-12 is kind of landlocked here. They're in a really tough spot. Um, and with no standing media rights deal, I don't know that anyone really would like want to join their conference. Um, and to be fair, they don't really have a ton of attractive brands anymore. I mean, Stanford is a good size athletics brand, uh, but nothing crazy. Oregon State and Washington State, eh. And Cal, as we have discussed, is like one of the most forgettable Power 5 teams out there. So um, I guess with that, Graham, I'll turn it over to you and your thoughts on some of these new matchups and pairings and um, as well as just what you think generally about conference realignment and I guess what the steps forward are for these for these remaining Pac-12 teams. Yeah, I mean, that few stretch of days where every day was a new reporter about a new school either staying in their conference or leaving – um, this Pac-12, pretty much, I want to call it a disbandment nearly, has really opened a, the door for some crazy conversations about what college sports is going to look like in the next few years. Um, in my heart, uh, especially, you know, being an Ohio guy, I've been an Ohio State football fan for as, as soon as I could, you know, know what a sport is. Mm-hmm. You know, I've kind of really become infatuated with, you know, what it is of Big Ten football. And I think in its glory days, like, you could attach these different feelings and traditions to, um, you know, certain conferences. And when I think Big Ten, you know, I've always thought about, like, the really big bands and some grinded-out games, like, in November. And when, you know, the weather's really affecting the games and... Um, you know, Midwestern, you know, slow cooking in the parking lot. Like, I really have become, like, I've attached the Big Ten name to certain feelings and traditions. So as soon as, you know, the US, uh, USC and UCLA stuff came out, I immediately did not like it. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we, we talked about that last year. Right, and um, for... Like, comparison's sake, like, I think Ohio State in Columbus, Ohio, and I think of the team up north in Ann Arbor, um, like, there's, like, a certain, like, level of, you know, tradition and um, the feelings that come with those games. But then you bring in, like, UCLA and USC that are coming from Los Angeles, a totally different time zone, totally different identity, different style of play, um, different fans, different brands, like it already kind of convolutes um, all the things that a lot of college sports fans have known to like learn and love. So I immediately didn't like that. And now that it's become, you know, the Pac-12 is completely disbanded and like the Big Ten is nowhere. And even next year, once we're into the grips of the season, it will not feel like um, Big Ten football at all. Like, I think when you have Minnesota traveling to USC for a 65-degree game um, and these times are going to be – Yeah, these times are going to be even more jacked up. Like, we've grown to love – like, I mean, I can remember when I was a little kid for – I know this is mainly a basketball podcast, but, you know, the college football is really how all these moves have been – kind of made with in their heart. 100% college like, basketball is so secondary in all of this. Yeah, like I, I've i watched college game day, Lee Corso picks the head, and I just flip over to ABC and, you know, um, Ohio State's playing at noon. But right. now it's like right. if they want to keep going with like that format, 
Like, are we going to play a 930 game with Rutgers at Washington? Like, like, I just can't, can't even fathom these types of moves. Um, and it re- it's really upsetting that the commercialization of sport that became this amazing thing of getting the brand bigger, involving more people, giving these kids an opportunity to play on TV has now become um, how much money can we put into our pockets at the expense of fans, at the expense of families, of students, of brands like the next few years are really going to be um, extremely decisive in how we look at college sports. And I really don't think that a lot of people have thought this through on how different the college sports landscape is going to look even by next year. For sure. And I think that, I mean, there's a lot that we can touch on here and and we obviously do not have enough time to, to talk through all the different scenarios and who all is affected because you're right. There are so many different people affected in this, in this case. I mean, I, I personally think mostly like the the first people that I think about and am concerned for are the non-revenue sports athletes. You know, sure, for the football team or for the basketball team, you know, traveling to some of these games, it might be an extra hour or two on a private plane. Like, okay, you know, I'm not super worried about that. But now you're asking, you know, volleyball teams and, you know, soccer teams and baseball teams to now take an extra layover probably four to six more hours of travel in commercial um and and, you know with a layover in salt lake city or denver or wherever phoenix you know to get to these west coast you know uh schools and you're asking them to do this all while balancing a school schedule because they just came off of playing a doubleheader because they went all the way out there and the sc- and I guess the scheduling is going to be like, oh, well, if we're going to go all the way out there, we might as well knock out both of our West Coast teams at the same time or whatever, um, you know, doing some sort of travel partner kind of situation. You're missing multiple days of class. You're on very little sleep. You know, just things like that. I think we're not really thinking about those all those, you know, all those that are going to be affected by this. And two, the unfortunate part, and I've heard some of this commentary as well, is Athletes being like, hey, I went to Oregon State or I went to Washington State or wherever so that my family could see me play a few times a year. Um, And now that's not a possibility Uh, because if you go to Oregon, uh, your closest game in and around Oregon is going to be against Washington. And then your next closest is going to be down in L.A. Um, And then after that, uh, you're going... I don't even know what the next closest would be after that. Nebraska, I guess that would be. Yeah, um, Nebraska. Then you have to go to Rutgers, which is on the complete opposite end of the country. Exactly. So it's it's a lot of upset athletes like, hey, this is – I did not come to Oregon to play against Rutgers. I came to Oregon to play against Oregon State, Washington State, Washington, you know, teams close by that my family can see and I can still focus on my academics and things like that. Um so I do think it's unfortunate. I think it's really affecting a lot of people that we're not thinking about in this scenario. And two, if we go down to just the sports and, and being a sports fan myself, you know, it, it's the death of a lot of great rivalries, which I think is the really sad part. Obviously, I'm glad to see Arizona and Arizona State go together. I think that's how that should be. Um, but, I mean, Oregon and Oregon State, it, I mean, used to be called the Civil War. It no longer is. Um, I think it's called the Battle of I-5 now. Um but yeah, like just a, a phenomenal football game 
almost year in and year out. It didn't matter if Oregon was good or Oregon State was bad because that's typically how it was. It was always a close game just because it was a fierce rivalry. I mean, it, it in in some sense, it'd be like, hey, Xavier fans, um, you're not going to play Cincinnati anymore or we might play them one every five years or whatever. Um, I think it was the same thing with Kansas and Missouri. That was one of... Um, Obviously, it's what I grew up on, and I think yeah, even as a neutral fan, a lot of people would say that that was one of the better rivalries, um, both in college football and college basketball. And when Missouri left, it took until you know these last couple of years where we've been able to renew the basketball rivalry, similar to how Xavier and Cincinnati do it, where they play in December of every year. But prior to that, we, we were without that rivalry for many years. So um, I do think it changes the core of the game. I do think it changes what the game stands for and what it's all about. Um, which I think is the sad part. I think that, unfortunately, as opposed to looking at it um, from the standpoint of, hey, you know, this is about the getting the best talent on TV and watching the best, the most high-level games and things like that, um, now we're more looking at who can be on TV and who can't. Um, a, a very much a, a have and have-nots, you know, type of situation. So, um, but yeah, I, I, any closing thoughts here, Graham? I mean, obviously, we could talk for years on this i i guess yeah we could kind of circle back i mean what do you think the future is for these pac-12 teams i know i've seen a lot of like they might just roll into the mountain west now obviously a downgrade but at least some stability there right yeah i think that their best option is to try to find a conference that benefits them um in a survival standpoint like there's no way that as it stands now that they have any solid tangible future right now they're gonna have to make a move that's solely based on how can we retain our rights or get any sort of rights for media purposes and how can we protect our student athletes because there's a very dark rabbit hole that could happen where you're gonna have to start cutting programs you're gonna have to look at taking a severe pay cut for you know media rights and I I think the most logical reason is um you know go down to the mountain west but then like the the one that i really think that this is um the storyline that's really you know kind of going under the radar with the pac-12 is stanford yeah while stanford hasn't had that solid of a football program since andrew luck and christian mccaffrey like they've definitely fallen off you know the radar compared to what they used to be right um but as a whole, Stanford has been one of the best athletic programs across the board Yes, um, for a very long time. All of their departments like, are so good. Yeah, and I think um, I think it's called the Capital One Cup, or at least it used to be, the thing that tracks your progress across all sports. And for like track and field and golf and all these sports that aren't going to be on TV as much, aren't going to be represented as much, that is like the upper echelon of sports is is Stanford, and it's at a great academic school. But now, if they want to, you know, make a move that makes the most sense for them in terms of survival and trying to stay um, in the spotlight, that's going to be a move to the Mountain West or dispersing or trying to get into another conference. But then that problem rises: is like you're recruiting the best players in the world to come to your school to play golf, to run track and field, to swim, whatever it might be with their really top programs. Yeah. And then are they going to, you know, end up in the Mountain West and 
be on the same level as Boise State for golf? Uh, no, that's not what they're signed up for. Right, absolutely. Um, a lot of programs are going to benefit from this. You know, UCLA's football is going to be way up, and even, you know, the existing Big Ten teams, like Ohio State and Michigan, you know, might boost their profit that instead of playing Rutgers uh, in Maryland, they might, you know, get to play like an organ in that week right. slot. But then I'm thinking about, you know, the field hockey team at, you know, Cal that is known to be a Power 5 school. They recruit players to be at a Power 5 school. And now you're going to, you know, end up in the Mountain West or even worse, like the Big West, you know, with all the other UC schools. Um, I think a lot of programs are going to suffer these next few years um, solely for the benefit of the 1% of college programs. Yeah, totally. And no, that's, I, I thank you for bringing up the Capital One Cup because I think that's a really great thing to put in perspective for it here. And your touch on uh, Stanford being amazing at it. Here you go. Uh, so the they started the Capital One Cup in 2010. There's only been 12 years of it because in 2020 they didn't award it due to, due to COVID. Um, 12 years. How many times do you think that Stanford has won the women's championship for capital for the Capital One Cup? It's been about 10 years. You said uh, 12. Uh, 12. 12. Um, I'll guess because women's basketball as well. That's a big weight. Uh, um, I go like six, seven. seven. Yeah. Ah. Really, really good effort there. And then on the men's side, even they've won it three times. Um, and that's up there with Florida, Notre Dame, Virginia, Ohio state and UCLA are the only other teams to have won it. So, um, yeah, like it's, they're obviously very, very solid across the board. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. And, um, yeah, I mean, points points are divided up based on high-value sports or low-value sports, Group A, Group B, all this stuff. But point being is, obviously, Stanford is very solid across the board, and I think that's a really good point there to, to kind of keep that perspective. So, um, Really, the only other thing, big thing that we need to cover, Graham, is, is kind of the transfer portal and uh, where a lot of these players ended up that we kind of previewed in our last pod in May. Um so we're just going to roll through a few of them. Um, obviously, I think the headliner, the Hunter Dickinson sweepstakes. Um, Hunter Dickinson is going to end up at Kansas. Um, obviously, 7-1 forward, very talented. Um, had a solid stint at Michigan, um, but is headed to Lawrence now. Um, interested to see how he's going to fit the offense there, fit the vibe, um, and just the overall um, you know, feeling of, of – being at Kansas and having to become part of a team and be a team player. I'm interested to see how that, how that all meshes there for, for Kansas and for Hunter Dickinson. Um, Jesse Edwards is another big one. Uh, big man, athletic six eleven coming out of Syracuse. Um, he's going to end up at West Virginia, which is a whole nother storyline. West Virginia has had maybe the best and also worst off season imaginable. They're riding this high. It's late May, early June. They have the best transfer class in the country. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, everything happens with Bob Huggins and comments on radio shows and then a DUI and he's been suspended or quit or fired or who knows. And then he applies for reinstatement. He argues to go to court. I mean, who knows what's going to come from that. 
Um, I think we can all agree, even as, you know, I wouldn't say as much respect as I have for Bob Huggins as a person because I don't think that there's that much left now um, since what's happened. But I would say I respect him as a coach. I do think he's one of the better coaches out there um, in the coaching pool. Um, but, Bob, it's time to hang it up. Like, it's you're done, buddy. It's is you know, this is strike four, five, and six. Um, so, yeah, I think it is uh, time for him to wrap it up. But we'll see. I mean, it seems to be so far that most of the players have – stuck with the West Virginia program. Um, and we'll see how it turns out. We'll see if they hire new. We'll see if they stay with an house, things like that. All, uh, you know, interesting to kind of see what comes from that. Um, Terry Samuel, Samuel, uh, us, big, us Big East fans know a lot about him. Uh, Seton Hall forward. He's headed down to Florida. Um, and then another big one, Stephen Ashworth from Utah State. Uh, good shooter. Um, little guard is headed up to Creighton. So, again, more significant Big East news there. Um, Cam Spencer, uh, 6'4 guard, super talented, very athletic, is headed from Rutgers over to UConn. So, again, more uh, another uh, noteworthy Big East move. And then Khalil Ware, I think, is the other big one that I would highlight. The seven-foot, you know, freak athlete um, is headed from Oregon over to Indiana. So, we'll see what Mike Woodson can do with that talent. Um, here in the upcoming year, any other big highlight or transfers that you want to highlight, Graham? That I that I'm missing here. Um, a big one for me is L.J. Cryer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know he was at Baylor, um, and now he's going to Houston. Um, big Twelve Houston, rivals now. Yeah, uh, Houston has become one of the better programs in the past couple years, and I think that getting someone that talented to fill the role. Um, Fill the void that was left by Sasser, who's now um, with the Detroit Pistons, um, is a very, very good option um, for them going forward. Um, and a another um, big, big one for me um, is Max Aismas. Uh, you know, from Oral Roberts, he's been you know of the course. Cinderella guy, our um, guy, you know, and everyone had said as soon as he hit the portal that wherever he goes, he's going to be a star. Now he's going to Texas, which is one of the biggest athletic brands in the entire country, uh-huh. um, regardless of how you feel about them. And Texas is really trying to build something. You know, for years they've heard the noise um, of, you know, their brand kind of, you know, ranks them a little bit higher than they should be every year. And, you know, they have all this attention. Who knows what they can end up doing. Um but I, I genuinely think that um, they could be in a very good spot um, with him. But, it, you know, it's the, the ball's kind of in his court on, you know, can I, you know, be what um, the people want me to be? And more importantly, can I, you know, help build Texas up to what they built last year going to the Elite Eight? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and can Terry kind of pick up where he left off, I think is another big question there. Um, all of which questions I think we will answer in our preview pod here coming up here. We'll, we'll probably do, might split it in two, do one in September, one in October. We'll see. Um, and then I think another thing, you know, kind of to highlight for the pod this upcoming year, maybe get some different voices. I know I, I love hearing Graham talk. He's got phenomenal takes. Um, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, changing some people out, bringing in some new, uh, some new guests, some guest interviews and things like that might be kind of fun. Um, you know, friends of the program, managers, things like that. 
uh, just see who we can get on here. Might be might have some good talk here. So, um, but we'll see. That's all in the future. And then, really, just to wrap it up, I think there's a couple headlines just to keep an eye on. Um, and we'll get some quick takes from Graham before we get out of here. Um, and then, of course, wrap up with our Musketeer minute. But just things to keep an eye on as we, you know, the season coming up here. Um, obviously, John Calipari's credibility, I think, is a little bit on the line this year. Uh, definitely a lot of up and down years for Kentucky. People calling for his firing last year. Um, and this isn't the first time over the last few years that that's happened. Um, so we'll see kind of how that, um, you know, continues to grow this year, how that story continues to grow. Because, of course, another star-studded recruiting class. Um, shocker, it's Kentucky. Um, another big one I think is Purdue. Um, Zeki's back again, of course, uh, you know, for one final year. Um, Naismith Player of the Year last year. You know, will that level of, of play continue for him? Um, who's to say there? Obviously, the Big East continues to get deeper. Um, UConn winning the title last year. The addition of Patino, who knows, um, you know, what to expect out of St. John's. And then the kind of the move of, of Ed Cooley down to Georgetown to a bigger brand, um, I think is super interesting as well. Um, and then obviously Neptune kind of cementing himself down there at Villanova uh, is going to big one is, is going to be a big one as well. Um, what did, what are we hearing from FAU? I mean, are they going to run it back again? Um, continue their run of good form. Um, is the IARP going to finally finish this year? Are we going to hear on Kansas and LSU? I would assume we would shortly. Um, and I think the last really big one is, is Alabama. Um, because you're coming off of one of your most successful years in program history. Um, but also you have had a super controversial off season, um, and, and during the season, obviously with Brandon Miller and everything that was involved there. Um, you know, so what, what does the future of that program look like? Can Nate Oates get a little bit of a hold on the off the court stuff? Because obviously the on the court stuff is really going to take care of itself clearly. So, um, but yeah, just a couple of things to kind of keep your headline, your you know your your eyes on here as we, you know, narrow down to the season. We're not too far, just a few months out from uh, opening night, which of course is you know one of the best days for all of us here uh, at the Norwood Noise Podcast. So, Graham, I'm gonna turn it over. You let you kind of wrap it up with uh, with our Musketeer minute, um, and then we'll get out of here. Yeah, um, as Evan said, you know, that this was kind of just a recap, get the feet wet, let people know that we're still around and kind of give our thoughts on conference realignment, all that stuff. Um, but, you know, as we're coming down to uh, mid-August and the semester's about to start, which means that we're just a few, uh, few weeks closer to the start of Xavier basketball and, you know, riding the high of an unbelievable run um, just falling short in the Sweet 16 to a really talented Texas team that I think we just ran out of steam. Um, and now, you know, you're looking at what will be a pretty much completely different team. You know, losing Jack Nunji, losing Sule Boom, losing um, Adam Kunkel to the pros, and obviously losing Colby Jones to the draft, who has signed a four-year guaranteed deal with the Sacramento Kings. I think we're going to see a lot of him in the next couple years. And I think it's really cool for all of listeners here who have been a part of the last few years that Evan and I have been at Xavier being able to watch Colby come uh, into his own and going to the NBA will be pretty awesome and then you know we lose, lose those four guys that contributed a lot of big minutes and then you know further down the bench you know 
um, Elijah Tucker, Cesar Edwards, Deontay Miles, Kiki Tandy, who all had their individual roles the past couple seasons. Um, no matter how much you saw of them, those were familiar faces. And now you're coming into a season with four new first-year players, four transfers, and then in the past few weeks, this might be new news to some of you guys, we've signed two European players that will be eligible immediately in the class of 2023, um, the recruiting class of 2023, and uh, one is coming from Lithuania, Gitas Domiska and uh, Lazar Djokovic from Serbia, both of which have had unbelievable young European careers playing in the professionals already um, at their respective ages of uh, 19 and 20. And then, um, so now you're looking at 10 new players, and we've had some injury concerns in the offseason. Obviously, at the end of the last year, Cam Kraft and Zach Freeman both went down with their respective injuries. Um, had surgery and now they're nursing their way back hopefully to see them by the start of the season and in the offseason Jerome Hunter had a little bit of a scare with some health related issues and you know they were taking good care of him they got it in the bud so they're going to make sure that you know he can be um, what he can be at his fullest potential which is be one of the best glue guys in the country um, everyone who watched that run and experienced it knows um that none of that would have been possible without Jerome Hunter. I mean, he was really our glue guy and then came into his own. He saved us against Kennesaw State, was a brilliant against Pitt, and brought the energy that um, you hope that type of player provides against Texas. He was unbelievable, so we need to make sure that he can be back to where um, he can be a contributing player and, you know, set him up for the rest of his life. I mean, health issues are not something that you want to mess around with. With that being said, they were just in uh, Bahamas and played two um, teams that, granted, they are not Big East quality, um, but it gets you a pretty good look of what we are trying to do, and it looks um, just as good, in my opinion, of where we left off. The good thing is about losing, I mean, the, the caveat for losing all those players this past year is that they set the standard. Um, we know the coaching staff knows what works, what doesn't work, and they can, you know, insert guys that have been hand-selected via the recruiting trail and transfers um, that can fit the mold, and hopefully uh, by the start of the season we can get right back to where we want to be. Um, the key thing is is just what players can mesh together. I mean, you have 10 new faces in the locker room. You have three injured returners right now, and um, as sad as it is, and it's it's upsetting that it has to come at the cost of this. Having three returners opens up three more reps. It opens three more times to sit down with coaches and you know go over film. And that is really going to help a lot of guys get up to speed with what Sean Miller wants and what Xavier basketball wants. And I think that this summer is going to prove to be extremely beneficial to a lot of players to get caught up to speed. And hopefully by the start of the season, you know, you can – play your five guys on on court that can do exactly what you want, you know, Xavier basketball to be. And I'm extremely confident, you know, this 10 new guys all contribute something different. Um, and I think that Xavier fans have a lot to be excited about um, this upcoming fall and winter. I would agree. I think we filled a lot of roles this offseason that were really needed. Um, and in these last two kind of late classifications have been super, super helpful and I think really bolster our roster. Um, 
And I think my biggest thing, I am very excited to see what Quincy Oliveri can bring. Um, I think the guy can shoot the lights out. I think he's a great athlete. Um, and I know our, our strength and conditioning team at Xavier is really going to get him in great shape and, and ready to roll. And then really my my overall headline, I cannot wait to see what Desclaude has turned into this offseason. This guy is going to be a monster this year for this team. Um, and I cannot wait to see him kind of being the floor general out there. Um, he's learned under two great point guards. Um, and, you know, in a, in a little bit of being able to learn under, um, you know, Paul Scruggs as he was kind of, you know, moving his, on his way out. And then obviously under Sule Boom for a full year last year. Um, just getting to learn from those guys, uh, I think, is super, super key. And I cannot wait to see what Des uh, has become this year. So, um, yeah, I think that kind of brings us to a wrap here. Um, thank you all for joining us. I know it's been a long time coming, um, but so it feels so good to be back in the saddle um, and very excited for the season to come. So we will be back in September, um, hopefully early to mid-September, get a little preview pot in there, and then same thing early to mid-October. And then after that, we're going to be back on the week-to-week grind. Um, for a little bit of personal news, Graham will be in Cincinnati as usual. Um I've chosen to take the semester uh, and spend it in uh, the country of Italy. Um, so I'm going to be on an international schedule. So times are going to be weird. I'm going to be watching games as you know as much as I can, um, and obviously trying to you know stay up to date with everything. Um, but bear with us if we get a little bit out of whack. But hopefully we can kind of figure out figure out a, a consistent schedule as we get in to the semester and into the season uh, that works for both of us for recording times and things like that. And then, of course, we'll be back at it, you know, for the for the Big East title run in January. So, um, but yeah, good stuff, Graham. Thanks so much for joining me tonight. Really glad we could get a uh, get something figured out and get a get a good pod wrap together and really wrap up this off season this summer um, with some big, you know, kind of big headlines that were there. And uh, and yeah, obviously looking forward to uh, what's to come here uh, with this twenty three twenty four season. So, thank you all so much for joining us and listening this evening. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll catch you all again very, very soon here in the next few weeks. Uh, and yeah, hope you all have a great rest of your August. Cheers.